welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I am David Bass. And thank you for listening, David. Uh, you're welcome. How you doing? <laughs> I know you don't listen to this. Uh, I do on a very rare occasion. Every once in a while, I will check in to see if I'm saying uh, too much. And uh, it's always, yep, I sure am. I should probably cut that out. I, I can live with uh, it's like that will get me. And I have found that when I am tired, uh, I will fall into that. And it is a thing that I hate. And so listeners, if, if that ever happens and you are bothered by it, just know that I am very tired. And if I were to listen back to that, I would hate it, uh, as much. So don't you worry about that. I'll hate it. I'll hate me enough for the both of us. Um, so, okay. We've got, uh, stuff to get to. Um, so I will lead with our sponsor. What do you think? Oh, that's a great idea, actually. Yeah. Okay. Now, David, this episode that we're recording right here is sponsored by Mubi, a curated online... I'm trying to say it differently now. I'm trying to change things up. <laughs> Wait, because did, did you hear me? Did you listen to last week's episode I yet? did not. Oh, okay. Because I tried to do it like you. I, oh, how did you... Uh, no, I didn't hear it. Said, how did, uh, this episode is sponsored by Mubi... That's, that's not, that's not far off. Yes. Uh, Oh, you haven't listened. Cause Scott was you. Scott did the whole, uh, hello and welcome aboard the battleship pretension. Did he do like an impression of me? No, he just did. Good. The, All right. Yeah. That's good. I'm glad to hear it. I guess I'll have to go back and listen to that. And, and, uh, how did the, how did the episode go? Oh yeah. Special thank you, by the way, to, to Terrence Scott and, and to Terrence. Scott. Yeah. Yeah. yeah for it was for great. taking it was my spot. All, it was all fantastic. All right. Uh, where was I? Right. This episode. Who's it sponsored by? I'll tell you. Mubi, a curated online cinema that brings its members a hand-picked selection of the best independent, international, and classic films. Every day, Mubi's curators introduce a new title, and you have 30 days to watch it. That means there's always 30 wonderful films to enjoy, all for only $4.99 a month. Plus, when you use their mobile apps, you can download films to watch offline. Now available on Mubi is A Woman Under the Influence, directed by John Cassavetes and starring Jana Rollins and Peter Falk. Now, classic. I love, uh, I, I love John Cassavetes, as you know. You've seen A Woman Under the Influence, yep. right? Um, so last year on, uh, on the More Than One Lesson website, I put together my, my list of the ten, my 10 favorite uh, lead actor performances, lead actors performances, that sort of thing. And uh, Jenna Rollins in Woman Under the Influence was number one of best lead actress. Uh, I think she does tremendous work in the film. But one thing I do want to emphasize is that as great as she is, I don't want to diminish the role of Peter Falk in the film. I think he's... Oh, yeah. She gets all the acclaim, as she should. She's, she's wonderful. But... Like it, it's it's a co lead situation, and frankly, I feel like the audience is more likely to connect with him than with her. Right? Yeah, he's more. Uh, I mean, he's closer to being an everyman. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And and so, uh, if you haven't seen the film, seek it out uh, on movie, preferably. It's marvelous. I was very excited that they that they announced that this was going to be uh, available because it gives me the opportunity to talk about it. I love John Cassavetes. Um, it's a, th- it's almost like a three way tie for first as far as my favorite of his films. I love Faces, I love The Killing of a Chinese Bookie, and I love A Woman Under the Influence. So it's tough to say, but this is the one that's available on Mubi. So if you needed an excuse, this is the one. Because here's the thing, I know you're thinking, look, I can't afford four ninety nine a month. I've got good news for you. The first month can be free. Here's How's why. How's that? Well, David. <laughs> 
There's a special offer for listeners to Battleship Pretension. You can try Mubi free for a month. Just go to Mubi.com, that's M-U-B-I dot com, slash Battleship to redeem now. Or you can click on the ad at BattleshipPretension.com. That's how, David. That's how. Thank you. I should have just kept my big mouth shut exactly. and you explain. Uh, it's not my first fucking rodeo, all right? <laughs> uh, now, those who listened to this week's movie journal know that I have a new favorite film of 2015. Indeed. Um, I also have a pen in here somewhere, but I can't find it. Okay. Um, I can go get you one while no, you're talking. It's, ca- it's called The Assassin. Uh, it's directed by Ho Xiao Shen. Here's my pen. And uh, I, had a, I had a wonderful time watching it because I'm able to compartmentalize. Oh, okay. Good for because you. Because there's a guy behind me. Now, this is a, you know, a critic screening. This guy, I'm sure he thinks he didn't talk during the movie. But that's because he clearly doesn't include uh, any uh, titles over black screen with music as part of the movie. He didn't talk. He didn't stop talking when the lights went down. He kept talking during the opening, like uh, bumpers or idents, whatever you called them. Yeah, you call them right up until the movie started. He okay. kept talking, and then the second, the second, the end titles come up he starts talking in that case, talking loudly about how much he hated the movie. Uh, his first words, first credit comes up. He goes, are you kidding me? That was his, that was his reaction. And then spent, here's the thing that pisses me off. Yeah. Because I've talked before that, like if you're going to, I like to stay through the credits Mm -hmm. and to me, that's still the movie. Part of the reason I like to say, stay through the credits is that it gives me time to reflect now you in and theory, I are in quiet the, kind time. of in the minority on this one. I know, but in theory, quiet time to reflect. Sure. If you were going to talk about the movie, go take it out to the fucking corridor, yeah. right? This guy, he didn't get up. He just sat there talking to, didn't let his friend get a word in, by the way. <laughs> Not surprising. Just talked for the entire, like, three, four minute credit roll uh, about why he didn't like the movie. Um, and... The thing he oh but he was already on my bad side Your to begin list. with my shit list to begin with because the thing he was talking about before the movie started he was uh, he was uh, slagging off uh, Stephanie Zaharek's review of The Martian oh, okay um, and I haven't seen The Martian but I like that review and I have been a oh, okay. Stephanie Zaharek fan her support of Hot Pursuit this summer notwithstanding <laughs> everyone gets a few right exactly. yeah yeah I support I you know I came out in favor of the Poltergeist remake uh, so I, everyone gets some but yeah. uh, Hot Pursuit is terrible and she loved it but uh, I'm a big fan of Stephanie Zaharek and uh, I didn't like so I didn't like his fucking attitude uh, his like uh, and, do, you know, do you know who this guy is no I didn't know okay. he's an older guy uh, I, I I had I definitely would know if I had seen him. See before. that guy that wears the hat. Uh, <laughs> you know the guy I'm talking about with longer hair. Yeah, no, he's not okay. that guy. All right, that guy. Um, he's yeah. nice. He's a nice enough guy, but uh, he, he, yeah, he's nice. And I don't see him doing this sort of thing. Right. Um, yeah, he has respect. Yeah, I know who you're talking about. It. He is a talkative guy before the movie starts. Yes, he is. Uh, but no, he's not this. Yeah, he's a respectful uh, gentleman. Um, uh, <laughs> And I'm thinking of a story about that guy. The once. guy with the hat? The guy with the hat once. I was, it was Scream 4. This is oh, back wow. when we first started going to screenings. Yeah. This is four years ago. Um, four and a half years ago, I guess. Uh, and he was talking to a woman that he clearly had never met before, was chatting her up. Uh, it turned out she 
wrote for like a Vietnamese website and was Vietnamese. Fascinating. And and he and he's this little pause and he goes, I like pho. <laughs> <laughs> hey, he's looking for a, a looking for an in. Yeah, uh, yeah, good for him. No, it wasn't that guy. Uh, anyway, I can't remember what I was saying, but uh, I hated this guy. I like Stephanie Zaharek. Uh, I gave this guy. I was not. Uh, I, I I was so passive aggressive. I walked up the aisle because he's still even the credits are over. He's still sitting there. I don't know what he's waiting for. And I walked up the aisle looking him right in the eye. <laughs> I like, did not break eye contact. Nice. Just like walked up looking him right in the eye. Um, he kept talking, uh, but he definitely noticed me. Um, and then I did it again in the parking garage. I saw him again. And he's still talking, saying goodbye to his friend, but just talking and talking. And uh, I just gave him a look. And then I think I don't know if he kept watching as I walked away, but I definitely shook my head. As I walked away. Um, anyway, it is uh, frustrating because we've talked about this before. I don't always stay towards the end end of the credits, but I also don't like to talk during the credits if I'm going to stay there. Um, yeah, that's that's the thing to me is if it's like I, I I don't fault people for not wanting to to stay. Yeah. Um. But I feel like if you do, you should stay quiet well the, th- the, the thing movie is gets, still going on you're hearing music and that means that you're hearing it could be a piece of score or it could mm-hmm. be uh, a song or whatever it's my, a, my head it's, is like a shark fin like that song <laughs> the ella cool j song from deep blue sea yes that's the sort of song you hear over the end credits absolutely a they song play it at where... the end of steve jobs oddly <laughs> enough no, and uh, sicario a, like a song a rap song where the lyrics are the plot of the movie those are my favorite Right, it's true. You don't get a lot of that anymore. But Bullworth had it. Yeah. Um, Ghostbusters two. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like has a whole rap about them doing kids' birthday parties and Slimer was <laughs> under the house. Right. <laughs> that I don't recall, but I do remember just the the. It was a Bobby Brown that did, did that song. I, I don't even remember. I yeah, don't remember probably. Now, but um, um, but he mentions he named Chugs Vigo. Oh, wow. In, in the song, yeah. He, so he's getting really specific. He's really specific. And then he just starts singing the credits as they go <laughs> <Right>. by. <laughs> um, yeah, it's uh, the thing that gets me is that, like, whether it be a piece of score or a song, the director chose for this to be what we're hearing as we're leaving right. or as we're sticking around. Um, and to me, I feel like that's that's notable. And especially if it's a piece of score, then that means that the composer wrote that specifically it's the creation is not done yeah you know the the art is not finished and so um so yeah i don't like to and sometimes if it's a very specific movie like um steve jobs they're playing uh bob dylan's uh, shelter from the storm which is a song that i know is overplayed but I, damn i love it uh-huh. um and it works really well in the in the nature in the in the tone of the film but uh and so i was just sitting there and just like and thankfully nobody was talking and I liked that. And That's I was just, nice. I was allowed to digest the film yeah. and hear this great song, which is helping me digest the film. Cause that's what that last yeah. bit of music is for. I don't know. It's uh, here's, here's what that I think bothers me. People should do before the movie starts, before you even head out to the theater, get on your cell phone, look it up on IMDb or uh, rotten tomatoes or whatever. Look at what the runtime is. Right. Mm-hmm. And make that deal with yourself. That's the amount of time I'm going to be quiet nice. <laughs> because that includes the credits. Yeah. It's part of the movie. Um, so just let's all just uh, agree that if a movie is 104 minutes long, we're going to spend 104 minutes not talking. You can wait that extra four minutes to, to get your thoughts out. 
All right, Dave. Or I'm, just step out into the hallway. Sure. A lot of options. Well, the two, I guess. Yeah. But either way, they're both pretty good. Yeah. Um, one of them literally means going out into the rest of the world and doing whatever you want. <laughs> right. Um, you had a similar experience. Oh, boy. You so were in I, Denver, Colorado. Yes. I went environs. to see... What was that? And environs. Yes. What county is Denver in? I don't actually know. Okay. I used to live in Douglas County. We're about to find out. But... Uh, I went to see Mission Impossible Rogue Nation with my nephew. Um, we went to uh, a, che- a second-run theater um, that I actually used to go to when I was when I lived in Denver, and they've uh, made a lot of changes to it. But um, but as we were walking in, because I had had a long discussion with Aiden about talking during movies, uh, because you know I want to instill this in him that you can't talk during movies, and. Um, and so as we got into the theater, he's like, where do you want to sit? And he goes, are you looking for people that'll talk? And I said, yeah, pretty much. He's like, do you see anybody? And I, said, and I looked and like, there's this older, there's like an older guy and then like a younger woman who I think might've been his daughter, but they had a, she had a blanket on her and they'd brought their own food. Okay. And I was so like, they're already too comfortable. And I was like, that's a problem. Yeah. And I just said, and he goes, he goes, how do you know? I was like, you just, <laughs> you just know. Yeah. So we sit a few, but they're sitting normally if there's a talker, I like to sit behind them. So that those noise isn't coming at me. Uh-huh. Um, but they were sitting far enough back that I couldn't. Right. So I had to sit in front of them about five, six, maybe seven rows. And, um, I nailed it. I was 100, but I, I had no idea to the extent that I nailed it. <laughs> it, Everything, everything you can think of. They were talking, not, not a lot. Like if they were talking a lot, I probably would have said something, but like enough talking, coughing, burping. (laughs) Yeah. Um, that, that food they brought, it's like, imagine the crispiest carrot and just, (laughs) (laughs) it's okay. And then. Yawning. Yawning is not a crime. But even my nephew, when this guy yawned, my nephew just burst out laughing <laughs> because I'm going to do an impression okay. and I'm going to need to push the mic away. Okay. Okay. Here's, here's the yawn. Okay. And it, I'm going to say it happened uh, six times during the movie. Okay. Oh my God. <sighs> <sighs> that was it. Okay. Story's not done yet, David. <laughs> Uh, now you've not seen the film. So no. the, the last scene, uh, happens during a, like a, like a congressional hearing or something like that. Okay. And, uh, and it's clear we're wrapping up. Okay. And actually before that scene, that's just kind of like, it winds up being like a nice little tag on the movie. Like the movie's basically over at that point. Uh-huh. The story is over. We're not, we don't see certain characters anymore. Um, and so the people behind me clearly knew it's like, okay, the movie's basically over. So they stood up and go walking out, but then there's still more movies. So now they're just standing there. And then that's, and then the, the last scene happens. Uh, but I'm going to say a solid, the guy must be, must be having some kind of time issue where he's 30 seconds ahead of the rest of us because 30 seconds before the movie is over. And while characters are still talking, this guy decides he's going to sing along with the mission impossible theme that none of us are hearing. (laughs) 
Now we're all going to hear it in 30 seconds right? because the credits are going to roll and we're going to be good. Yeah. Uh, but no, he decides he's so into this movie that he's just, and he's so on board with it that it just, people are talking and he's like, doom, 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 doom. <laughs> and it's just like, and I wanted, and then, then like he almost, it always bothers me when like the people that are like noisy, when they leave quickly, because it's just like, do you know, do you know what you are? And that's <laughs> right. why you're leaving. But anyway, like I, I almost, that was kind of the cherry on top. That's like, if I see this guy in the lobby, because he's an older gentleman, I know I can take him. So uh-huh, like, yeah. so I can be, I'll be bolder. Um, but what I wanted to say is just like, congratulations, you managed to do it all. <laughs> you didn't merely talk. You made all these other noises too. You managed to make yawning really loud, comically loud. You managed to bring the noisiest food with you. <laughs> if only you'd wrapped it in cellophane and just like, and then cherry on top, you decide to break into song with no lyrics incidentally. And just like, I wanted to, I just want to be like, what, what makes you think this is okay? Can you promise me that you'll never see a movie again? <laughs> or at least don't leave your house because clearly you thought you didn't. It right, just yeah, like, it, that's, it, yeah. it just, it bought like, <laughs> I'm surprised I, I, I had kind of forgotten it, but like my, my nephew and I were just talking about all like the, the entire ride back home because it was <laughs> Not just talking about the so, movie at all. Just no. Oh, the movie. Like we talked about that. I was like, yeah, that was fine. And then he just kept my, nephew kept imitating his yawn <laughs> and it was just adorable. So that was the experience that I had. And it was just like, I just don't, we all have our blind spots, you know, in life. But that one, I just don't understand that level of a lack of self-awareness. I don't know. Yeah. I just, well, uh, you, like you sneeze loud you, and you know that. Yeah. And so like, so if you're in a movie, you will at the very least, you're not going to like, it, it comes on too quickly. You can't leave to go sneeze in the hallway, but you'll sneeze into your sleeve. You'll do whatever you yeah. can to muffle that. Yeah. If this guy had your sneeze, he just let it out for everyone. You know, it would just coat the back of our heads. And then along yeah, with just this goes horrible, like, whoo, after yeah. he sneezes. You know that? <laughs> oh, that was a big one. That sneeze that I just did. Um, it's just yeah. oh, the worst. Well, listeners, uh, I want to know if there's any listeners in the city or the county of Denver uh, that uh, have encountered this guy. Yeah, maybe. Wouldn't it be neat if he was like that guy that was in the theater when we saw the Scarlet Empress? He's just making the rounds, yeah. pissing people off. I like um, that guy, though. I liked him, too. He was he was a nice enough guy. And and at least he was like enthusiastic about what the film was. But um, so we do have a quick announcement. Yeah, we certainly do. OK, an exciting one. It is. Uh, now, I'm nervous to make this announcement because we're announcing something that hasn't happened yet. And I don't, I don't trust people and I don't trust right circumstances. Oh, the world could end. The world could end. Apparently it was supposed to yesterday. Yeah. I, I heard that. Yeah. It didn't happen. Or did it? <laughs> <laughs> what if the world ending is not that much worse than the world we're in now? Yeah. Think about that. Um, I love it. That'd be, that's kind of a neat idea. Anyway. Um, so, uh, Listeners, we are going to be present, uh, offering for sale our latest round of commentaries. Now, you may recall that the first year, uh, not year, sorry, it was, it was about a year ago, I guess, uh, we 
recorded commentaries for the theatrical cuts of the Lord of the Rings films. Now, we, uh, you and I were there all day long watching them one right after another. It was about nine and a half hours, I believe. And then we would have guests come in every half hour or so to, uh, to make their own comments about, uh, about the films. And so, uh, and then, a few months ago, we did the same thing with the Alien Quadrilogy, as we all know it. Yeah. Um, and uh, and we watched all four films, and basically we, we make them available to you to purchase individually, but we highly recommend you purchase them uh, as a group. Now, here's what we're doing this time. We are not going to be tackling a franchise. Instead, we're going to do something a little bit different, and I'm excited to do it. I'm very excited to watch these movies. We are... With all our friends. Indeed, yes. Uh, we are going to be sort of tracking the evolution. Of the, there's going to be some big gaps because we're only watching five movies. I can't believe I just said that. Yeah, we're only watching five movies in a row without stopping. Yeah, and uh, but we are going to be tracking the evolution of the slasher film. Yeah. So we will be watching Psycho, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Halloween, Child's Play, and then topping it off with Scream. Yep. So that's what we're we're starting uh, at noon and going till about nine. Now, thankfully, these, uh, with the exception of Psycho and Scream, these movies are very short. Yeah. Uh, which makes this possible. But uh, and then, so David and I will be there the whole time. We'll have guests coming in and out. Uh, some of them, you know, some really academic, fun film people, and then other other <laughs> others just silly comedians. Um, and uh, I will say one thing. So. We had Benny Arthur on for mm-hmm. Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Then we had him on for Alien Resurrection. Uh-huh. During Alien Resurrection, we the three of us acknowledged that, hey, Brad Dorif is in both Lord of the Rings and Alien Resurrection. And then we said we made a joke about how we should talk about Child's Play next time. Did we? I yes. don't even remember that. I went back and, and was listening to it uh, uh, a few weeks ago, and... So, now, unfortunately, so Benny's going to be done during Child's Play. Nope. Did, oh, couldn't get it to work be out there for Halloween. It, it, uh, that was not the time that worked out best for is him. Is he aware of this? Uh, no, he is not. Uh, this was the time that w- he's going to be there for, I believe, Halloween. Um, yeah. But yeah, so uh, I just and we, feel like if we told if we made Benny aware of this coincidence, maybe he would rearrange some things to be there during Child's Play. Well, it's too late. We've already, uh, yeah, cause you'd have to then rearrange someone slots. else. Yeah. It's like, uh, one of those sliding puzzles they had to figure out on amazing race at this point. Indeed. Yes. Now simply. I've not seen any episode of amazing race so far. Oh, then of you this don't season. know what I'm talking about. Well, I'm familiar with those puzzles. They do them all the time on survivor. Oh, okay. Um, so here's the deal. Uh, when you go to battleshippretension.com, there will be a graphic on the side that says Battleship Pretension Slasher Commentary. Uh, click on that. You can buy each one for $3 each, or you can buy them all for $10. So that's a savings of $5. Yeah. Um, now, I was reluctant. The, the thing that made me actually reluctant to do what we're doing and not do a franchise is that people might feel inclined to sort of pick and choose and say, well, I don't care about child's play, but I do want to hear what they have to say about Halloween. These things are fun. We like doing yeah. them. You will almost certainly miss running jokes. If you do that, undoubtedly, those, those always, uh, always happen. And they're, they're crowd pleasers. Yeah. Well, um, but then you also miss out on the fun of listening to David and I get punchier and punchier and punchier. Yep. And then by that the time we fun. get to scream, we're just insane. And so you get to, that's what you get when you get all five. Um, yeah. 
So, uh, so I'm excited to, we haven't recorded it yet. I'm super excited to do it. It will be available by the time you're hearing this, it'll be available in the next couple of days. If not already, I'm going to try and make it available already. Uh, once this episode airs, so that's going to be tough. It's going to be tough, but I think I can do it. Um, it's going to require staying up late. Not a problem. (laughs) Okay. So, yeah, so, so that, can, I'm, yeah, like I was already excited. You just telling the listeners about it has gotten me more excited about doing this in a few days. The log- that's the thing. I got so focused on the logistical elements of it and just making sure everything everything is is correct. I haven't even been thinking about what we're doing, and yeah. now pick, I'm super excited. Spooky snacks. That's what I got to do. Sp- <laughs> right? Sure. I got to bring spooky spooky snacks. I believe so. We tend not to eat that often. Uh, We don't eat on the commentary, but in between we've got about 10 minutes. And people, but I'm also, I don't mean just for us. When people show up, they're they're often waiting in the wings to go on. I like to have snacks for them. Yes, that's that's a good call. I do appreciate that you do that. Um, This time it's going to be spooky snacks. Absolutely. Oh, I can't wait. Little chocolate bats and stuff. Probably, yeah. I'll probably get some more of those cats we had left. Those cat. Oh, ones. damn right! Get more those of those cats. cats. Are Hall- Halloweeny. Those All things right. were delicious. So now we're talking about snacks. Yeah, so I'm I'm super excited for this, yeah. and I will also say, as I, as we've said before, uh, we recently had to replace our laptop. Uh, it's debatable whether or not we're going to need to replace our uh, soundboard. It's a little bit older yeah. now. We are eventually going to have to replace yes. our soundboard. Um, and then there are other things that we, you know, events that we want to try to attend, film festivals and stuff yeah. in the future. We are. I, I shouldn't like. I don't know if it's jinxing to say it out loud, but we are definitely actually going to try to do Sundance finally yes. uh, this coming January. Yes, definitely actually going to try. Yes. No question about it. And so, uh, so you know, while we do allow people to make donations um, and we do have sponsorships, we do also offer these things as a way to support the show, but also you get something yeah. in return. Yeah. And uh, so basically for 10 bucks, you get... Eight and, in this case, I believe eight and a half hours of show. Um, and as far With, as I can, and it's not just, it's a lot of great guests, a lot of great guests. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Um, you know, there, there are, few, there are some that I've actually gone back and listened to without watching the movie. And I'll just listen to on my own, even though it's like, I, I don't really listen to us very much because it's like, I don't need to listen to <laughs> what you and I have to say, but the guests are so good and often so funny yeah. that I'll just go back and listen and revisit this wonderful day of my life. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. So check that out. That's on, uh, on the website. Um, if it's not, it will be very soon mm-hmm. uh, on the right hand side. Um, you can click on it. Um, I also want to tell you about uh, what you should, wh- when you're listening to these commentaries, uh, you should definitely be, um, if you're not listening to it out loud, um, you should, uh, at home in front of the TV, you should be listening to it via tweakedaudio.com earbuds. Uh, and what those are is they are professional quality earbuds in a variety of styles and colors. Uh, they also have an athletic line um, called Hegon. Those are the, they're, they're sturdy, but they're just as good looking. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you go to, uh, so they're at a low, low price to begin with. If you go to tweakedaudio.com and then use the offer code pretension at checkout, you get one third off and no shipping charges. That's tweakedaudio.com slash pretension. Let's get into it, shall we? Indeed. So uh, this is, Hey, this is your baby. Why don't you tell us what we're talking about? All right. I'm very excited. Are you? Okay, good. I'm glad. Uh, This is uh, the height of navel-gazing, but I think that's okay. Uh, 
I don't remember exactly what set this idea in motion. I'm also, for me. I mean, it is navel gazing for us, but I'm also really hoping that this episode leads to uh, some fun comments in the comment section. Yes, I hope so as well. Uh, pe- of people examining themselves. What are you going? So. Uh, I think some of this came about. So uh, my my wife and I go to uh, marriage counseling, and one thing that has unsurprisingly come about in marriage counseling is as I am trying to explain something to somebody, uh, I will bring up a movie or a movie character as just sort of a shorthand. Like, did you ever see this? And they say yes. Like, okay, good. So you remember this moment? Uh-huh. That's how I feel, or whatever. <laughs> Um, and so that led to a conversation that, uh, about what care, what, what movie characters do we remind ourselves of? Now that's something you and I've talked about on the show before, um, in a Q and a kind of thing. And so, but it did get me thinking I, about, I don't, I don't remember what I said. I can't think of anyone right now. Oh, I, I, I have my answers ready par- partially because of that uh, counseling session. But, um, so it got me thinking about, uh, like what, the like the art that we engage in now because of this show we're going to be talking specifically about movies but you can say it about yeah literature music whatever the art that we engage in is it a reflection of us and if so what what are some common denominators in our favorite movies the movies that just really resonate with us like if we were if you're looking at all of them or just a or, a or a large sample size of the movies that we say like this is one of the best movies I've ever seen. It's absolutely one of my favorite. Uh, and then you say it for a number of them. If somebody were to look at all of them and just watch them all, and this, and think, wow, I think I have an idea of who this person is. Well, what's funny is, do you remember a few years ago um, when the when the uh, decade lead? What is that? Uh, <laughs> It's not annual. It's Deca annual, whatever. Mm. Um, Decadely. Uh, yeah. Um, Sight and Sound List came out. Yeah. We were uh, very graciously invited by the people at Film School Rejects mm-hmm. to uh, participate in their internet version yes. of the Sight and Sound List. And I remember listing my movies and then standing back, having this up, like standing back and going, huh. Yeah. Because I found with some of these titles like Vertigo and Black Narcissus, and in the mood for love and picnic and hanging rock and arguably Lawrence of Arabia, a real recurring theme of sexual obsession slash sexual repression. Well, David, I could have told you that. And I like, I like looked at my list and I was like, wow, why? Like, why do those things speak to me so much? Why do I become, why am I so interested in stories about people being, uh, sexually obsessed or repressed, but usually the repression repression, leads to obsession of some sort. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if it has to do with like, I mean, that's, those are very Catholic issues and being raised Catholic has probably put those in my mind. Um, I don't feel that I am that way in real life. Mm -hmm. Uh, I guess I don't know. Uh, you know, uh, I don't know. I've, I've been to therapy. I I was in therapy for three years. I don't remember that sort of thing coming up, but for some reason, um, well, I guess I can get obsessive, but not usually about this thing, but for some reason that as a theme, keeps bubbling up in the movies that I love. Well, and it's definitely, and see, this is, this is the concern about this episode. So you and I have been friends for a long time. Uh-huh. I'm worried that, cause I was about to say, it's like, well, and I, and I was about to comment on something I know about you and not a thing I know about you, but just like, 
a common theme in conversations you and I have had off mic. Okay. I, I want to hear what that is. I will well, edit it out if I don't like it, but <laughs> well, like, Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, like one of the things that, you know, as we talk about like Christianity in general, and I recognize that there is a difference often in tone between Catholicism and Protestantism. But, um, but the thing that you talked about having a really tough time getting your mind around was the idea of, uh, a sexual sin because, Right. Well, it's like, why does God care? You know, you're not hurting anybody and all that sort of thing. And so without delving further into that, I will say like that definitely does one way or another. And I wouldn't say obsessed, but one way or another, you have very strong opinions about how people should behave in this. But it's the opposite of what the church says. Like you, you say, it's just like they should behave however they want. And that is a, and maybe in reaction to how the church talks about it. But one way or another, it's on your brain. It's on your mind. Um, And so I'm, again, while I wouldn't say that repression and obsession are are a thing for you, it is a preoccupation as far as wanting to rebel against it. And the idea, like with Black Narcissus and Picnic at Hanging Rock, especially these movies that are about uh, women who are either nuns or go to a sort of, Christian boarding school who, um, because of the sexual repression placed on them, essentially go insane or in the case of picking a hanging rock, potentially cease to exist. (laughs) I haven't seen that movie. I guess I, I guess I need to. It's a great, great movie. I haven't seen it in a long time. I should watch it again. It's a fantastic movie. Um, that's why I put it on my top 10 of all time. Um, so yeah, I, I, I definitely do see that it's not just, that these people are oppressed. It's that it, um, does awful things to them, I guess is what what I'm saying. Um, another example that I can think of off the top of my head is uh, night of the hunter, specifically Shelley Winters character. And just like, just how fucked up (laughs) she is, uh, in regards to sexuality. Um, so that's, and I'm sure we'll come back to it, but that is my, if I have one dominant theme, that's my, what's the, when you think of that, like when you stand back and look at your list, what's the number one, what's the main theme, uh, that, that, that comes up? Well, I, it's, it's hard to say. Okay. So I'll say two, these are the two things. One is kind of a mood and the other is a theme. The mood is melancholy. Okay. The theme is regret. Um, but, uh, and basically what I, what I did just kind of as a, just cause I needed something to like look at. Um, cause the 10 that I submitted, I tried to submit 10 movies that I thought were just some of the best and instrumental in shaping film as an art form, not necessarily movies that I ha- that really resonate with me. Um, okay. there are a couple that overlap, you know, like Lawrence of Arabia and stuff like that. But, um, find your, uh, off the top of my head, I had 2001, I had Kane, I had Vertigo, Lawrence. Um, there we go. Okay. What did I say? Uh, from, from 10 to 1, you had The Wizard of Oz, 2001, Lawrence of Arabia, Apocalypse Now, Metropolis, The Night of the Hunter, Vertigo, The General, Bicycle Thieves, and Citizen Kane. Okay. And uh, because the listeners are probably curious, because I didn't read my whole list. That's true. I should probably do that. Um, You're going to have to be scrolling quite a bit. There's a... <laughs> Your last name is B and mine is S. Yeah, they're they are listed. BS. Yeah. That's what this show is. Um here, um, ten to one for me was Battleship Potemkin, Picnic at Hanging Rock, In the Mood for Love, Lawrence of Arabia, There Will Be Blood There Will Be Blood, 
The Young Girls of Rochefort, The Discreet Charm of the Bourgeoisie, Black Narcissus, The Rules of the Game, and Vertigo. Absolutely. Okay. Um, yeah, and like, and so I don't feel particularly invested personally in the 10 that I submitted. So what I did is I, I looked at my, my most recent finished top 100 list, um, which I made two years ago. And I looked at my top 30 uh, from that. Now, obviously, if I were to make the list again, which I've been trying to, but I don't have the time, um, uh, this would change. But here's, here, this might be a fun exercise. Now, I've already said melancholy and regret are two big things, but I listed a number of okay. themes that I noticed just in this top 30. Um, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to read these titles. Now, I believe you've probably seen all of these movies. Okay. I'm going to list these titles. I don't want you to see what you notice. Okay. I'm going to okay. sit back and pay attention. I'm intrigued okay. by this. I didn't think of, of doing this ahead of time. All right. Number 30, One False Move. Okay. Funny Games. Out of the Past. Reversal of Fortune. Alien. The Freshman. The Best Years of Our Lives. Chimes at Midnight. Psycho. Touch of Evil. The Life and Death of Colonel Blimp, Fargo, The Sweet Hereafter, The Third Man, Ferkmeister Harmonies, The Last Temptation of Christ, Lawrence of Arabia, Double Indemnity, Chinatown, Dr. Strangelove, The General, The Maltese Falcon, The Last Laugh, Network, Bicycle Thieves, Twelve Angry Men, The Night of the Hunter, Jaws, Citizen Kane, Nashville. Uh, I mean, there's a lot. Now, of now I, I flew through them there, but uh, is there but, something to do with like? Uh, so, so, something about like psychic or spiritual turmoil under the surface of the ostensible everyman. It seems like there's a lot of that. Like, yeah. Um, I mean, right from the beginning with one, one false move, Bill Paxton is like. You know, he couldn't be more of like the normal small town guy, but there's a, so much going on with him. Yeah, and that's true of a lot of the um, the twelve angry men and all all, all that sort of thing. It, yeah. but that's not what you were going for. Oh, I it's not even going for. Like I'm okay. I'm interest. I, I find it interesting that that's what you latched onto. Uh, I I de- basically. There is that, but I deconstructed it into like even separate elements there. Okay. Uh, one is human nature. Okay. And, uh, specifically like what is underneath the surface, but sometimes what it, what boils to the surface. Um, and then, uh, certain, and then masculinity, honestly, is a big part. Now you say every man, I would just say men as a, okay. a, a thing that, because that is definitely a thing that I myself am preoccupied with is what does it mean in life? in 2015, what does it mean to be a man? Okay. Like, what is that? Like I, I read some horseshit article. It was like 27 aspects of being a modern man. Although and, those are so anything like that. Yeah. It was, it was like, like for, I think it was for like slate or salon or something like that. They're all terrible. They're all terrible. But then I read like a somewhat Christian response to it. And while I was more inclined to agree with that, that also had a lot of horse shit because anytime you, even though 27 is, that's a pretty good number. You have a lot of leeway there. You're still going to make huge, ridiculous generalizations. Yeah. 
And so I get very frustrated because, you know, uh, like I had an, oh, and by the way, uh, identity as specifically the idea of who am I, uh, what defines me. That's also a big part. But anyway, um, I often feel like, uh, well, let's see. I hate sports, (laughs) hate cars, don't really like doing anything athletic. I am maybe too much in touch with my feelings. Um, (laughs) like when you think of what masculine, what stereotypical masculinity is, none of that is me except of course for the obsession with sex, which I, uh, (laughs) uh, so far so good. Um, but like, so the idea of masculinity is something that has been, that has fascinated me. And if I look at these lists, like it's not merely that the character that is just male centric where it's just like, cause then you could put that down to, well, people will tend to like movies where the main character is seemingly most like them. I don't necessarily believe that first off, but I think it's, it's a lot deeper than that. And I think it's, these are movies that deal with guys who, who, are having some level of identity crisis and trying to see where they fit into the larger world and yeah. uh, the larger culture. So I have several others uh, that I wanted to talk about, but uh, that was well, kind of the first thing I wanted to do. Um, that uh, what, what you're just saying about people looking for things, uh, this is going to get really uh, personal, right? Oh, here. good. Um, uh, you know, identifying characters with characters who are most like them. Um, I think, there's it is more complicated than that but i am often drawn to stories and i wish i could think of a a good example uh right now and i don't know why i'm drawing a blank on a a a good example um but stories about people who are sort of like in many cases alcoholics but really like just functionally self-destructive people, if you know what I mean? Like sure. people who are living their lives, yeah. but in the background or inside, um, intentionally fucking themselves up. Uh, you know, and a lot of them cause you know, leave, leaving Las Vegas and yeah. lost weekend, but those aren't really what I'm talking about because well, those you're are also a big more fan of like, overt. You're also a big fan of like young adult, right? Just people oh, that, yeah, are, yeah, yeah. that are almost socially self-destructive. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a good example. Like self sabotaging, I guess. Yeah, self. But yeah, the, but it seems like it's a like it often comes from for some reason the movie that keeps popping up in my head, even though it's not a great movie, but just because it was so recent, uh, was Cake from last year with Jennifer Aniston, which I didn't see. Where she is addicted to pills um, and has like I don't know if you know the backstory of the movie. She's like she's essentially in chronic pain because right. she was in a car accident in which uh, her child was killed, mm-hmm. um, and. So she, she's essentially an incredibly depressed person who is going about her life um, with the help of pills that she depends on, mm-hmm. um, you know, sort of conscious wavering between consciously and subconsciously not getting better when she could be. Right. Um, and that that sort of story, I think, appeals to me because I, given my own um, history with depression, those sorts of things like. I feel like it's a there, but for the grace of God type of thing. Sure. Like I, you know, I, I, uh, I, I, I'm trying to, I walk the edge sometimes. I definitely cut back, but I walk the edge of drinking too much in my life mm-hmm. sometimes or, or I have, 
um, I've never really been a painkiller guy like, right. like in the movie, but I, I can see myself, uh, doing those sorts of things. If I, if I became less vigilant, I can mm-hmm. see myself slipping into a pattern of numbing myself or, uh, yeah. or being self-destructive or self-sabotaging. Uh, and so those sorts of stories, uh, fascinate me. And, and it is interesting because w- and this is a much deeper question than has anything to do with movies specifically, but like why, you know, you watch movies like that and yes, addiction, whether it be gambling or booze or whatever, like that is the, like that. I think the reason that those work so well is because it's so tangible. Mm -hmm. Um, as opposed to something like bridesmaids, that is a self-sabotaging character. Right. You know? Um, and I think, so the question is like, why do you do this? Like, how do you let yourself behave this way when you know what the outcome is going to be? Yeah. And you know, uh, uh, my, my theory is that like, it's that old, uh, Lewis black bit where he talked about, um, watching, uh, like watching, uh, the, the Clinton Lewinsky hearings. That's how long ago it was. And then just like eventually just taking a spoon and shoving it up his ass. Cause he's like, <laughs> if I'm going to be in that much pain, I'm going to do it to myself, <laughs> you know, which is like, uh, being able to control at least how I'm going to hurt. Yeah. Um, it's funny you mentioned Kristen Wiig because another recent movie that's again, not that great, but, uh, that dealt with this sort of thing is welcome to me mm-hmm. where she's mentally ill and comes into a ton of money cause she wins the lottery yeah. and sort of allows herself because she now has the means to do so to just stop taking her medications and be, uh, whatever her mental illness, uh, yeah. uh, makes her want, want to be. And that, that idea of, someone being rich and being able to do that, like gives them a wider playing field. It's to leave the realm of, of movies to talk about music. It's why I'm, uh, so, you know, uh, well now he's like a big star because of can't feel my face, but this guy, the weekend, mm-hmm. um, his lyrics, like, especially in his like, uh, trilogy of mixtapes that he put out in 2011, uh, have so much to do with like, you know, being like, the jet setting like rock star or whatever, but spending the entire time numb to it. Right. Uh, and I really, uh, uh, for some reason I find those it's a p- part of the reason those songs, uh, appeal to me so much as I find that kind of story, um, interesting. You know, and his, one of his new songs as a lyric, uh, his new hits. It's, this is a, this is like a single on the radio, whatever radio means, but it has a lyric when I'm fucked up, that's the real me. That's yeah. what, that, uh, and that sort of, um, I don't want to sound like I'm, glorifying that because I don't like it. It's, uh, horribly unhealthy, but I'm drawn to those stories. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, uh, which speaks to one of the big things that I notice in the movies that I tend to like, uh, and really respond to is, uh, loneliness and isolation. Um, and one thing that I find so interesting, because you mentioned like rich characters, um, the idea that people, use wealth to make themselves more miserable. It could be Daniel Plainview. It could Mm -hmm. be Norma Desmond. It could be the Von Bulos. It could be Charles Foster Kane. Just that like I now like the, the, the the thing that money can provide is that you're no longer accountable to anybody. 
And so it's just like, all right, I'm not going to be accountable to anybody, but it's just like, no, that's the worst thing for you. Cause now you're only accountable to yourself and you're not going to, you're not a good judge of your own character. Yeah. And, and you have the means to indulge your worst impulses. Yeah. Um, you know, the things that we, you know, the things that we want to do are often the worst things for us. Sure. And when you have the money and power, you have the means and a lack of obstacles uh, to just indulge yourself in those sorts and, of things. And you might have the you might even have the means to take care of whatever consequences happen. Right. Which right. is which could be like, oh well, I'm I'm incredibly rich, so I'm just going to eat at really great restaurants all the time. It's like, well, you're going to could gain a lot of weight. It's like, Oh, I'll just get liposuction and problem solved. <laughs> you know, like there's, there's that as well. Um, and so, uh, but I but think yeah. like Charles Foster Kane building, you know, Xanadu. Yeah. Like, Oh sure. That's, that's not, uh, it didn't come from a healthy place. His decision to, to build these things that are, that end up because the space is so cavernous, it ends up being more isolating. Yeah. And it's just, uh, so, you know, as, as I, look at this and look at my my list here i'm i'm in i almost feel like just going going through and just looking at my top 30 i'm glad i didn't decide to do my whole top 100 because honestly i feel like out of 130 is a large enough sample size that like i don't think we're going to be taking any major left turns with uh-huh. the bottom uh 70 um but uh there are some things that as i was like looking at that top 30 and really trying to break it down because like obviously melancholy and regret were big things i was gonna that i was gonna notice immediately uh masculinity was a thing i was gonna notice immediately but as i went through i noticed some things that surprised me but so like it's, it's difficult because it's like just because i'm noticing a theme there that doesn't necessarily mean that that's a reflection of me or does it there's a reason that it resonates with me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it, and we go, I think in, in having this discussion, we go back to certain ideas that I think you and I would outright reject, which is what do we say about the person for whom horror movies, the gory or the better are their favorite movies of all time. You and I would be very quick to say, well, other people would be like, well, well there must be some kind of disturbed freak or something. Right. You and I would be quick to say like, of course not. Yeah. Yeah. And yet somehow, when I look at movies, you know, my own movies and I see a a theme that I apparently respond to and maybe didn't even know it. I think I'm more inclined to say, well, maybe, I don't know, but maybe that's a, there's a difference between responding to theme and responding to genre. But it's just to go back to what I was saying, just because, just because content, uh, there's there's content that that attracts you it doesn't mean that it's like a one for one like i am now going to live out that exact content exactly i'm not going to pull a nicholas cage and leave las vegas right there's no point where i'm going to move to las vegas and drink myself to death that's not gonna happen david are you sure (laughs) i guess yeah my one thing my therapist always did tell me to never say never because i am uh I tend to be rigid with myself and okay. so I tend to say never, I will never do things a lot. Okay. Um, and so maybe someday I will move to Las Vegas <laughs> and drink myself to death. Uh, but that doesn't like, let's I, think in I'm terms not, of percentages. You're <laughs> let's say you're in my opinion, I'm going to say 78% likely to move to Los, uh, Las Vegas and drink yourself to death. Oh, see, I think it's like uh, five or 6%. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. Wow. We have different interpretations of you. <laughs> um, so, uh, 
one thing that came about was the theme of unknowability, um, specifically with people and the idea that, uh, a line that I find myself thinking about a lot, even though it's, uh, the movie's not my top 30 from Miller's crossing is, uh, nobody knows anybody not that well. Um, mm-hmm. and looking at, okay, so let's see. Lawrence of Arabia. Lawrence of Arabia. Who are you? Yeah. Citizen Kane. I think Knight of the Hunter, specifically the idea that like they have an idea of who Harry Powell is. They have no idea. And even he probably doesn't know why he's doing some of these things. Um, Last Temptation of Christ. I think Harry Lyme is one of the most unknowable people in all of film uh, in the third man. And then Norman Bates as well. So it's in some cases it's, I can't figure out who this person is, even though in the case, you know, you mentioned Lawrence of Arabia movies, three plus hours. Mm-hmm. And I feel, and we're watching Lawrence the whole time. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I'm no closer to knowing who he is at the end than I am at the beginning. Yeah. You know, so that's one level of unknowability, but it's also it's the idea. The fact that David Lean pulls that off is part of the re- like maybe one of the less yeah. examined reasons of why that movie is so great yeah. is that you can watch for three and a half hours, learn nothing and still feel like, wow, what a great movie yeah. and still feel like the character. He's not vacuous, right? He's not some kind of cipher. You still feel like he's three dimensional. He's fully developed. And yet, right. I don't know him. He's a, he's a very deep pool of water, except the water is black and you can't see. And that's it. great. It's like, uh, it's like we're watching, uh, uh, under the skin. Okay, you know, I didn't see. Uh, and like under the skin, I've just got a full on erection. <laughs> um, so, uh, but yeah, so unknowability, not merely in that, like I'm looking at you, but I don't understand you, but it's also, I think I know you and I'm completely wrong. There's so much more going on underneath that, that if, if the cards are played just right, people will never know. Norman Bates got away with what he was doing. And of course he didn't know he was doing it, but like he got away with what he was doing for a long time and probably could have continued if, if, if somebody had overshot or something like that. Um, if the, if the, uh, private investigator had not gone back a second time or something like that. So, um, so that's something I find fascinating. And uh, if you had said to me, uh, like, Hey Tyler, you apparently you you respond to the theme of people being unknown or not or being more than what they appear or less. Um, I think I would have been like, eh, I don't I don't think I respond to that. <laughs> but if you look at like some of the movies, some of my favorite movies, that's a big part of it. One of the things that I love about Citizen Kane is that it's not told from his perspective. It's always other people. Oh, right. With right. their little separate chunks of who he is. And you feel like, well, certainly I can add all this together and figure out who he is, but you can't partially because the last word on his lips just, and it's like one thing that I love about Kane is that when you find out what Rosebud is, you, you think like, Oh, that's what Rosebud is. Shit. That doesn't help at all. <laughs> it's just like, I mean, I've got some theories, but that's all it's going to be. Like it's, it, it, the, the puzzle is far from complete at that point. Um, now speaking of lists, okay. I, I read my list, this top 10 of all time that I had mm-hmm. made three years ago. And there's a movie that I had not seen at that time. Okay. That if, we're, if I were to make a top 10 list, um, uh, again, it would definitely be on it. And it's okay. a movie that uh, it's again, uh, I've realized is one of my pet themes 
and this is <laughs> this is going to seem out of place on the list that I read, but an American Werewolf in London is um one of the greatest movies of all time. I was not expecting you to say that. Oh, okay. I was kind of going through a mental Rolodex. Like, what has he seen lately? I was arriving at Amberson's, maybe? Uh, Magnificent we'll talk about Amberson's. Later, okay. uh, later. But no, I, I had not seen American Werewolf in London. And it is one of the greatest movies ever made. It would be on my top ten, probably. Um, and I found myself thinking about this because I've been thinking about a different top ten. I've been thinking recently, how long do I have to wait before enough time has passed that I can say that Hannibal is one of my top three favorite TV shows of all time. Sure. Sure. Uh, and then I real and in thinking about this topic, I realized, Oh, there's some stuff in common that I relate to between those two, those two things, which is not just the idea that people are capable of ho- doing horrible things to one another, yeah. but that if we're honest with ourselves, maybe we might enjoy being horrible to one another. Yeah. Like maybe there's something in us, something base and primal, yeah. uh, that is destructive and harmful and takes joy in crushing or hurting or ripping people apart. Yeah. Uh, and that as a thing, like, I mean, that is as goofy as American werewolf in London can be. That's what he's struggling with. That's what becoming a werewolf means to him. I mean, it's, this is, it's a werewolf movie, but most of it takes place when he's not a werewolf. Yeah. It takes place while he's becoming on the inside and he's having these dreams. Yeah. And the dreams are so, I mean, like the one with the like Nazi wolves gunning down his family. (laughs) It's like, it's yeah, it's crazy, but it's like, there's this, uh, again, like primal, uh, terror to those at this realization that he's becoming something uh, that is not just, again, not just capable, but uh, enticed by the idea of being awful. And that's kind of Will Graham's struggle sure. uh, you know, on the show Hannibal because he, um, it, you know, has uh, his superior, super empathy for things no. uh, actually, uh, like sort of counterintuitive counter counterintuitively results in him being able to knock down certain sympathies. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because he can see everyone's point of view. So everyone's point of view becomes equal, even yeah. if they're what we would consider monsters. And so he will is struggling with, uh, is the, you know, the idea of myself as a good person is that who I really am, or is that the construction and is Hannibal more, uh, closer to, um, real human nature. Uh, and so I, I just found myself thinking with those two properties, um, that, that is a, that is clearly something that, uh, appeals to me. Oh yeah. Listeners of, uh, old time listeners of Battleship Pretension might recall that our very first Halloween episode uh-huh. was vampires and werewolves. I uh-huh. took werewolves because to me, that has always been one of the most fascinating story arcs of any character and thematically the stuff that is explored. When you think about it for, for a protagonist in a werewolf movie to be considered a good guy, his goal has to be to die. Right. That's it. Whether it be Lawrence Talbot in Wolfman or the character from uh, American Werewolf in London. So that's, that's the good guy. The bad version, and it's worth noting that the Howling and American Werewolf in London come out so close to each other, maybe even the same year now that I think about it. Yeah. Um, the Howling's not very good. 
I like I like it thematically. Yeah, because that's where you have people who just embrace right. this thing that you're talking about. They've they're done fighting it. Yeah. They were done a long time ago, and so that and it speaks to what I will now. I, I think it. I think it really uh, resonates with me as well. So I have a category called evil. Okay. And then in parentheses, human nature. <laughs> yeah. It's worth noting that I relate those two. That's um, what that, you and I, we don't I mean, we have a lot of different philosophies. Yeah. But that is something I think it is common ground in us. Yeah. And to me, it's like, I've said it before. I'm going to say it again. I think the most compelling and the best villain in film history is Noah Cross in Chinatown. Mm -hmm. And part of it has to come from this fascinating little bit of dialogue in which he says, most when Nicholson confronts him with what he has done, and he has done the most despicable thing a person can do, Uh and he responds with, well, at one point, um, Nicholson says, like, well, who do you blame for this? And he just says, I don't blame myself He's like, because you see Mr. Gitz, because that's how he says it, uh-huh. most people never have to face the fact that in the right circumstances, they're capable of anything. Now, I believe that. Uh-huh. But what I find fascinating is that he uses that as a justification for what he is doing. <laughs> and that, to me, is as evil as you get. Yeah. When you understand that nature, and you are making no attempt to fight against it, and the fact that he's played so grandfatherly and almost curmudgeonly by John Houston yeah. makes that so much more like odious because, and this goes to the idea of like someone not being more than what they seem or, or capable of things that you would never think of. Like he seems grandfatherly. He seems like a very nice, welcoming, uh-huh. friendly guy, but he's, he has done and is okay with the worst thing a person can do. Um, and then there are a number of other films that fall under evil slash human nature. Um, I've got third man cause I think Harry Lyme is pretty, dang, he's close to, to Lyme. Um, and then I've got, uh, funny games, which is yeah. a similar kind of just, I think, and I think one of the reasons that the character of the Joker in the dark Knight resonates so much with me as does Anton Chigurh is the commonality. And those aren't in my top 30, but like, uh, nor, nor are they in my top hundred. No country might be, but I don't remember. But um, the commonality there is this idea of people being like, why should I? Why should I conform to these? Who says? Mm-hmm. You know? And it's just like such a deep, like, t- to me, and speaking as a Christian, like, it is the natural, uh, I won't say atheism, but like, it is the natural, um, byproduct of like true nihilism when you come to realize that like who makes the rules just other assholes like me so the only real reason to obey the rules isn't that there's an inherent goodness in them it's simply that i don't get punished but if i don't care about getting punished then i'll just do whatever i want but that's why i liked uh, I'm actually thinking of more examples of movies that are like this, but um, I'm sure there are, and I can't think of them right now. But so there's a movie from last year. Even I'm sure we've talked about the idea. Like we, even though we wait three months to do our top ten lists, mm-hmm. uh, or two months, however, uh, you know, we wait until the Oscars to do our top ten lists. Um, there's something to be said for maybe like waiting five or ten years to do your top ten lists. Sure. Sometimes things. So there's a movie that did not make my top ten. 
that I still recognize has um, some flaws, but that I think about constantly. Um, in fact, I just bought it on Blu-ray because I couldn't stop thinking about it. Okay. Uh, it's Calvary. Oh, okay. Um, and that's, Which I've still only seen like 30% of. Okay, but that's a movie that says, no, these these rules to conform to, these, these guidelines. The, Calvary is a movie that says the world is an awful place and people are awful in it and awful things happen because of people being awful or just for no reason. Sometimes yeah. the world is like a hellish nightmare. And yet there is real virtue in trying to be good. Even if you never can, yeah. the, the trying, uh, and I'm inspired partially by a listener email, by the yes, way, as you, as you know, um, the, 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 the trying in itself is virtuous and is worthwhile. Yeah. Uh, and that, I think that's the reason that movie has stuck with me so much is that, that, that is something that I, uh, really truly believe, uh, to be true. It's it's sort of the reason that I believe that we, uh, we were talking, I can't remember what, uh, Oh, we were talking about Steve Ranazzisi a couple weeks ago and the idea of, um, forgiveness that my, like my first impulse, because I am human, is to mock or condemn. Yeah. Uh, but then the impulse I try to train myself into is to forgive and empathize. Yeah. Uh, and you, even if you never can, even if that's just a, a pipe dream to be like ever, to ever be fully enlightened, the, um, and fully open, the, the trying is, uh, enough. Uh, Anyway, that's why I got. That's what I got out of Calvary. I'd like to hear listeners' um, uh, opinions on the movie. And people have been saying that, like, uh, that we need to talk about it on more than one lesson for ever since it came out. And I and it's 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 on my it's on my radar. And I yeah. and from what I saw of it, I I loved what I saw. Did you get to the part where he where um, he counsels a young man who's considering going into the army? No. And his uh, his point of view is that. I can't. I, I used to know it by heart, but I haven't seen it in a while. I will watch the Blu-ray again. But he says something like, uh, "The commandment thou shalt, thou shalt not kill doesn't have an asterisk next to it, referring you to the bottom of the page where there's a list of instances where it's okay to kill people." Yeah. And so, to him, like that devotion to these to that code, even at the expense of what people are willing to accept. Yeah. Uh, is is worthwhile um yeah oh yeah i feel like if i were to watch it just based on what people have said and what i saw of it i feel like uh, it will wind up being like one maybe one of my favorite movies of all time um another thing that i noticed so okay this will go back to when i was when i first started dating jen uh we went on our first date in may of 2002 and then we both went home for the summer and we emailed back and forth and Jen worked at a video store at the time. Mm-hmm. And I had think, I think I had only recently made my like official top hundred. Um, maybe, and maybe it was an older one, but, uh, she said like, Hey, I'd like to know, you know, Jen, Jen's so freaking awesome because she was just like, she was very much like meeting me where I was and, mm-hmm. and being like, being like, well, you know, you, you love movies and you've got a top hundred. You should, you should give me the list and I'll go through it and, and, and rent stuff and watch it. And then by the end of the summer, like I'll be all caught up and it's just like, and that's one of the reasons I love her is because she's like, 
she's willing to go that far. Like I remember, uh, she, uh, cause my, my father had just died and she did a whole lot of research on like grief and stuff and Xeroxed a bunch of like chapters out of books and then bound them and then <laughs> gave that to me to be to like be helpful. It was, it was amazing. But anyway, um, so, uh, so I sent her my list and she spent like a, a few weeks going through it, not finishing it, obviously, but she, she watched as many as she could. Then she emailed back and said like, boy, these are really dark. <laughs> like, she's like, I don't know if I can finish this. Like it's having an effect on my mood. And, um, and so it got me thinking when I look at my top hundred in general, there's not a lot of comedy. But the comedy that is there does tend to have a certain tone to it. Like Dr. So, Strange Love? Like that, or <laughs> Network, or Fargo, yeah. or The Life and Death of Colonel Blimp, or even Funny Games is kind of funny at times. Like, yeah. And that's just my top 30. And so, But I also have stuff like The General and The Freshman and uh, you know that sort of thing. Um, but so I, I just looking at my top 30, I noticed that like, very few of these are conventional comedies and often if like even the ones that are comedies when you contextualize things you shouldn't be laughing uh-huh. and so <laughs> right. yeah it's like oh the end of the world why am i laughing or like <laughs> any number of scenes in fargo um and so i specifically wrote humor as coping mechanism which is like the only way to get through the horrible shit of life is to laugh. Yeah. And I've gotten it. And by the way, in the Christian world, I've gotten in trouble for that. Like I've made jokes that are very dark uh-huh. and people will say, and people have said, you know, people that, that get my sense of humor. Sometimes they'll even, they will say like, wow, <laughs> They're like, how can you joke about that? And then I'm, I'm trying to be very honest. I'm like, because it's the only way I can even deal with it. It's like, obviously I'm not saying that the thing I'm joking about, I believe at the time I was joking about suicide, um, both mine and other people's. <laughs> and, uh, and it's just like, I'm not trying to diminish it. I'm trying to get hold of it somehow. And trying to find the humor is a way of making it more manageable. Right. You know what I mean? Just as like with Dr. Strange, I'm like, the Cold War is like nuclear weapons are aimed at these countries that are hostile towards each other. And like, how can you even begin to think about how horrible that is? Well, I guess we just got to laugh because <laughs> that's the only way we're going to keep from going insane. You know, and so I feel like that is a it's a thing that has definitely been reflected in the movies that I love, the comedies that I love. Um and I think it very much is a reflection of my general attitude about humor in life as a way to get you through life and make, and make your life better. But also just like, you know, I was, I've made jokes about my dad being gone oh, because sure. yeah. you kind of, what else can you do? It's like, I've, I'm, I'm out, I'm, I've run out of tears. So, and I still want to deal with this somehow. So what do I do? I don't know. So now you and I have a similar sense of humor, I would yeah, say. Yeah. And when I, when I, and I also, I, I make those sorts of jokes around my wife too. And she doesn't react poorly. Right. But, uh, it's not like, she's not necessarily going to go all in. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I can think of examples. But I'm not going to say them. Yeah. Yeah. That's a um, good, good call. 
I, I don't have that much more that I wanted to get to, um, except for one thing that is less a theme that I respond to and more in the sort of construction uh sure of of a movie yeah i wanted i I wanted to move into like uh, responding to artistic choices not merely thematic um i am i will always give a move i I will always give demerits to a movie that doesn't do this and give points to a movie that does okay um if a movie is actually shot where it takes place and actually treats the geography of that place as real as it does in real life. If it doesn't, you know, as much like the example of always, like as much as I love point break, okay, you know, yeah, they like rob a downtown bank and then in a foot chase end up in Venice in like <laughs> five minutes. Yeah. Like it's absurd. Yeah. Um, that, uh, I mean, maybe they were in century city. <laughs> that's still too far. <laughs> um, but, uh, that sort of thing, really bothers me um whereas there can be a bad movie like well it's just on my mind because uh of um baltazar cormacore making uh everest uh and us talking about it but contraband is not a very good movie Mm -hmm. but it like uh doesn't try to like a lot of movies shoot new orleans now it like takes new orleans seriously and then when they go to I talked about this last week. I can't remember if it's Haiti or the Dominican Republic. Okay. It's one of those. They actually went there and shot there. Yeah. Um, that's, that's important to me uh, for some reason. So I have to assume Chicago being shot in Toronto really uh, that, throws you. It, it bugs me. Yeah. yeah. It, it, you know, or I do feel like if you're going to call it the name of the place, at least try to shoot there a little bit. Yeah. And, and like certain TV shows like the West Wing or Chicago, they shot in Los Angeles, but they would uh, have like a scene in every episode that actually took place in yeah. Chicago or DC. And yeah. then every couple months go out and shoot those scenes yeah. <laughs> like in a row. So you'd get, you would actually get some exteriors yeah. uh, that took place, but it like, it's it, like, it bugged me uh, to stick with TV. Like um, the, uh, the the pilot of Justified shot. I don't think it actually shot in Kentucky where it takes place. I think it shot in like Western Pennsylvania, which mm-hmm. is close enough. Um, but just the pilot. Then they shot everything in Los Angeles or in Southern California after that. And I guess they did a good job, but it always bothered me. Same with like Dexter shot its pilot in Miami and yeah. then shot everything else in uh, Long Beach because Long Beach. In the movie and TV world, Long Beach, anything that takes place in Miami was probably shot in Long Beach for some reason. <laughs> that's that's what they use. Uh, but uh, that that's something that um, really appeals to me. That's why, like, um, I think it has to do with, to, to extrapolate some pet themes or just ways of thinking, uh, I think that the places that people live Mm-hmm. are very important. It's one of the things we've often, often talked about, like in comedy or just in, in other themes, like um, s- somehow being more specific makes things more universal mm-hmm. because everyone's experiences are specific. Exactly. Uh, no one has generic experiences. Everyone's are, are, are specific. And I feel like that's true with geography too, is like when movies do that thing where, uh, and this is why I said Mag- Magnificent Emerson's is the exception to this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when movies do that thing where they never say the name of the city, right. um, it usually pisses me off because it's like, it could be anywhere. It's like, well, no, because everywhere has signifiers of its, yeah. of its location, you know, uh, 
you know, you can tell the, you know, the, the, the buses look different or, yeah. or, you know, the, something about the streets or the weather or something like everything is specific. Uh, you'll see signage, uh, uh, all that sort of thing. Um, Magnificent Amerson's does it well because it actually is part of the, it's, it, it's not just a cheap or, or you know, right. like, uh, playing it, like trying to be a, like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It, it, it's not trying to make up, it's not trying to make the point that this could be anywhere. It's specifically about what, uh, automobiles and the industrial revolution right. did to, to turn towns into cities. Yeah. Uh, and, um, by making it more general there, uh, it, it, it actually, it actually achieves that thing mm-hmm. of, it could be any of these cities. But so that's the, that's the, the thing, uh, about Magnus and Emerson's, but this is, uh, geographical verisimilitude is, uh, something that, uh, appeals to me. Well, and I'm trying to think, so, if I were analyzing you like, uh, like a movie character okay, uh, and a movie character just said what you said and I would, th- and I would try to think like, okay, well why is that so important? And like you said to you, the things that contribute to who a person is aren't generic. And so it's right. about contextualizing life. Mm-hmm. If you, I, I genuinely feel like if you met somebody like, let's say, I mean, we have, when we have people on the show, you'll say like, where are you from? Yeah, I was. Imagine if someone said, I don't want to tell you. <laughs> A, you'd react to, why don't you want to tell me? But B, it's just like, yes, but I I need that <laughs> right. context. You yeah, know? yeah. 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 I, I wonder if anyone's ever. No one's ever said that to us, right? People have no, been I don't think about so. where they're from. Yeah. Okay. Oh, but what if they were all lying? What do you think of that? <laughs> um, but. Uh, yeah, and that to me, I think so. That's that's very much an artistic thing. Mm-hmm. That and again, this is me saying about you, and maybe it's not actually true. That like for you, it's just like you want to know as much about a person as you're talking to them, yeah, so that you can better relate to them. Yeah, um, you know what's a great movie? What's that? It's just a great movie. It's also a great comedy. We haven't we talked about not having that many comedies. Yeah. Um, and it does, it actually shoots where it says it is for the most part, uh, is planes, trains, and automobiles. Uh, yeah. I love that movie that it, uh, it, you know, um, where's he go? He's going from New York to Chicago. Is that right? Um, uh, yeah, I believe so. So it actually shot like in New York at the beginning and then they went into the Midwest because they end up overshooting Chicago. In yeah. Lake. They go to Wichita at some uh, point and they go to St. Louis, the part, the, yeah. the, uh, that's why it always sticks out to me because I'm from St. Louis. I don't know if I ever mentioned it. Um, but when uh, when Steve Martin yells at the uh, the woman in the airport, mm-hmm. uh, they shot that at Lambert Airport, like, yeah. or, or at least the exteriors. I actually don't know. Maybe the interiors were on a stage, and uh, maybe when he's actually doing the yelling at uh, who is it, Edie McClure? Yeah, uh, maybe that's on a soundstage somewhere. But they actually shot like when he's like trying to find the rental car and slipping mm-hmm. in the snow. Like that's actually St. Louis. That's actually the airport. <laughs> uh, I like that. Yeah, it's, uh, I'm trying to think if there are any other, like, almost everything that I, that I wrote down is, is a thematic thing. I'm trying to think if there's any artistic choices. Um, I do tend to like a really nice long take, whether the, whether the camera is stationary mm-hmm. or moving, uh, 
What's weird is that like, but if it's, if it's like from true detective or children of men, the long take bothers me because it takes me out of it. And I feel like they're just trying to show how awesome they are. Oh, like, well, you either should or shouldn't see Victoria, which is a two hour and 15 minute unbroken take. But you know, if that's the case, yeah. I feel like I'm eventually I just get, I would just get lulled into the reality yeah. that is being presented to me. But that, that hits both of our, uh, things with my, like, for you a uh, long take for me geographical fair similitude because mm-hmm. when they're going when they're in one part of berlin and they're going to another part of berlin berlin there's no cheating when it's all yeah. one take they actually have to get in the car and go there uh and um that that definitely uh hits a pleasure center for me actually seeing that unfold oh and imagine how much i love time code that's four <laughs> simultaneous yeah. uh long takes and i think the reason i like it I, but i think actually if i'm being honest i do like a static long take a lot more because it forces us to just look and take everything in whether we want to or not. A recent example is of course, 12 years a slave, Mm -hmm. um, which I think is maybe one of the best uses of a long take that I can think of precisely because we don't want to see this. Right. And the director saying, I don't give a shit what you want. He doesn't want to be hanging from a tree. So I guess none of us are getting what we want today. Yeah. So, and just, and I like that. I sort of, and I think probably if I'm being honest, when I, what I, if I'm, if I'm saying like, okay, well, what does that mean about me? And it's just like, yeah, life sucks a lot of the time. And I guess you could try to avoid it if you want, but that's not going to help anything. You're not going to get anything from, from the shitty aspects of life. If you're just trying to avoid the pain that comes with it or the discomfort or whatever, like you gotta watch Mr. Robot, by the way, I I know where he in there in his voiceover narration takes the audience to task for, for, uh, giving themselves shortcuts by cutting out the boring parts or yeah, (laughs) that's, and when I think about now, uh, for, I mean, funny games is kind of that as well, which is like, you want you want the things you want, but you don't want to pay for them or you don't want to earn them. And obviously we all want that. I, I want that. I want like a lot of money, but if it'd be great if just an extent an eccentric billionaire who listens to the show is just like, I'm just gonna give him a bunch of money. Uh-huh. Um but even then I feel like, well, I did the show, I kinda earned it. Um <laughs> but uh but I think there's a there's a part of me um that just says like you know uh, the the bad parts are also a part of life and you can't just avoid them. And because if, and also if you do, then you might not enjoy the happy parts quite so well, um, or quite so much. And so, and it's, I know that's a weird line to draw from like, Oh, I like a nice long take. Even when what we're looking at is uh, unpleasant mm-hmm. to this much larger philosophy of life. But I, I don't know. Well, that's that's the only one I can think of. That's a that's called appreciating art or oh, analyzing art. Fair enough. Um, I'm about done here. Okay. I've got a couple th- more things to talk okay. about. One is as I was looking at this. So I, I think for the most part, I'm comfortable with uh, some of the stuff that I, some of the conclusions I came to except for one thing. And because so far the themes that I respond to are very, uh, you know, very neurotic and it's all the things that I'm, that I'm somewhat comfortable being, or at least comfortable with people seeing me as. But as I look at, as I look at this, I realize that a, a, a theme that I respond to and characters I respond to and a thing that I 
would like to be, and I'm reluctant to say it, but you know what? It's all about uh, being open on the okay. on this podcast. All right. Um, greatness and a certain grandiose quality. I want that. I like a friend of mine and and I were having a discussion, which is there's the movie characters that remind you of you. Then there's the characters that you wish you could be. Yeah. Then there's the characters that if you are not careful, you will be. And as I was making that list, and it's an interesting way to be thinking as I was making that list, anytime I dipped into the characters that if I'm not careful, I'm going to be them. Mm -hmm. They are always megalomaniacs and who just like who want power and they want the love and praise of millions. Wow. I didn't realize that until I started talking about that. And oddly enough, and when I see that, when I like, it could be, and obviously like the, you know, certain bits of music uh, contribute to that, but there are certain images that when I see them, I feel in, I get goosebumps. I feel invigorated by it. Even if I'm looking at a villain. Hmm. So now I have certainly compared myself, not compare myself, but anytime I see a a depiction of Richard Nixon, (laughs) I will say like, no, I could see it. But like, (laughs) but in Oliver Stone's Nixon, when he is taking, when he is accepting the, the, the Republican nomination and he's going to now be president and it's basically assumed, but there's this big speech and John Williams is like playing this, this, it's just this big piece of music that is a little bit reminiscent of the Imperial March, um, which is probably notable. Uh, in that moment, it's just like, look, I know that everything about this is supposed to be bad. And yet I'm so envious when I watch the lion King and I see scars song. Uh And at the end he is towering above (laughs) these hundreds of hyenas and like the, the moon is behind him and he's just like, I look at that and I feel like, fuck yeah, man. Like that's, <laughs> that's what I want. And then, and same, same with Kane when he is giving that speech with that giant photo of himself behind him. It's just like, yeah. thank God I've never seen all of triumph of the will. <laughs> you know, know? you got to put on your to watch list What's that? is the world's greatest sinner. Which is oh, okay. a film that um, Timothy Carey uh, wrote, directed, and starred in okay. himself. You know Timothy Carey, the crazy character actor from The Killing. And yes, uh, okay, yeah. yes, he made a very strange movie called The World's Greatest Sinner. I've uh, heard of it. He, I, know I've, about I talk it. about it every chance I okay. get. I saw it at Cine Family uh, a few years ago, um, and uh, it's a really poorly made movie. He was not a natural born director, okay. <laughs> um, but it, he quits his job at uh, insurance. Uh, as an insurance agent and starts a cult. <laughs> and, and the thing is just like, so as I was looking at, so that's, that's in thing of specific characters, but as I was looking at like Nashville and just the way some of those characters, uh, specifically Henry Gibson's character, just the way he carries himself. It's, it's not necessarily a thing. I, I don't want to be him, yeah. but just like the, the, the love that the crowd has Kane. And then the way that even, um, Harry Powell can just command uh, a room in Night of the Hunter, and then Howard Beale in Network, uh, Lawrence, wow. um, and then uh, 
Colonel Blimp and just even like in the even in Harold Lloyd's The Freshman where it's about him striving to just be beloved and by the end of the film he is hoisted on people's shoulders and the entire college loves him like it is a thing that I keep coming back to and it's and it's in the back of my head to such a degree that like and it makes me so uncomfortable knowing that that's a thing that I seem to want that like I like I don't even want to say it on this show because I don't want people realizing just how (laughs) just how fucking like egomaniacal I can be if I'm not careful. Wow. So I just thought I'd throw that out there. Yeah. You know, uh, All right, so yeah. th- the reason that I mentioned is because that's something that as I was looking at this, it made me uncomfortable to think about. Have you, d- you know, uh, well, and I don't want to put you on the spot, but like, did you think of any, did you, well, I, come to about, I mean, like I, t- I already talked about there before the grace of God with people being, yeah. you know, self-destructive, you know, moving to Las Vegas and drinking themselves to death. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I think when I, like I have no intention of having children. That's something that uh, mm-hmm. my wife and I have talked about, like, like weirdly early in our relationship. Like it was so important to both of us. Yeah. It was like, like the second date or something. I mean, that's hey, would you like to go but, out with me? Incidentally. incidentally I, yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, there are times I watch movies and I wipe my brow. Like, I'm glad I'm not having kids. Cause I might be a terrible father. Mm-hmm. Uh, I might be, uh, Brad Pitt in the tree of life. Yeah. Um, or, or I guess like the great Santini, like, yeah. uh, or Jack Torrance. Um, but it, more like not, uh, not I mean Jack Torrance, I guess, because he uh there's the drinking thing. But I, I, I think I mean more like um I'm afraid that if I had a kid I would um and maybe weirdly like especially if I had a son, I guess, that would be mm. weird. Like I would be too like this is who you are, this is what you're gonna be. This is right. and like in trying to like maybe coming from a good place of wanting to shape them into a good person in the world. Yeah. Um being a little overly con or a lot overly controlling. Yeah. So that's uh, that's something that I I guess I would worry about, but uh well, you talk I don't about, plan on having kids, it's not gonna be a problem. Well and you talk about being rigid with yourself. But right. you're but you do that with the best of intentions, as they say, you know, because you, you do that because you feel like, well, there's a, a way that you're supposed to live that will benefit yourself and the people around you. Now imagine if you have a kid and it's just like, well, it's my job to shape who this person is, right? That is the job of a parent. And so it's just like, so I'm going to try and make sure he doesn't make the mistakes I've made. So that means I need to be extra rigid in regards to certain things, which then might actually make them absolutely do those things but um <laughs> yeah. yeah that's interesting uh yeah uh, my original what i learned about myself in therapy is that i have trouble seeing the gray area on certain stuff and sometimes i'm <laughs> i'm rigid to the point where it means like if i'm not obsessively categorizing categorizing my saved music and my Spotify profile, then what does anything mean? <laughs> <laughs> like we might as, just, might as well just all burn, you know, burn their, burn our, all our clothes and go live in the woods. Like what it, it, if I, if everything is not uh, accounted for and codified, then nothing means anything. That wow. is, that is a, a problem that I have. Uh, but that's not about movies anymore. <laughs> that's just something I learned about myself. Yeah, in therapy. that's interesting. Um, so, and then one thing I want to do, so I went through my, my number one 
movies uh, for the last several years. In fact, uh, all the way all the way back to uh, when we started the show and uh, seeing what uh, what of these themes pop up. And uh, unsurprisingly, many is the answer. So at the moment, my favorite movie of 2015 is Steve Jobs, which contains regret, cynicism, unknowability, loneliness, caution, which is the thing I didn't talk about, and of course, greatness. Um, the Babadook, melancholy. Melancholy is going to be in almost all of them, by the way. Melancholy, regret, loneliness, and identity. The idea of, in that case, you know, wife, mother, like, is that all I'm going to be? Is that okay? I certainly don't seem to, you know, doesn't seem to be the case. Um, Enough Said, which has melancholy, regret. Oh, uh, I didn't talk about this. Um, then the, okay, uh, emphasis on uh, realism and then loneliness, humor, identity. One thing that I guess I should mention here is because so far I've been talking about very negative things. One thing that I do tend to gravitate towards, even in the darkest of films, is hope. So even when Nashville ends the way it does, even when one false move ends the way it does, even when Fargo you know, those events happen. There is a note of yes, but there's also more, you know, there like, it doesn't merely Fargo doesn't end with, with Marge saying to Peter Stormare, like here you are and it's a beautiful day, which is a melancholy note and a mournful note to end on. It ends with two more months Mm -hmm. and then our lives are going to be so much better. Like it's just not even better because it's not like their lives are bad. It's just like, this is a thing we're looking forward to in spite of all the shit we've seen, we can still be looking forward to something. And then like, you know, with Nashville, you could say the hope is mixed with cynicism, but the hope is definitely there. You know, even when you have Henry Gibson, you know, he, okay, I guess I'm kind of about to spoil Nashville, but like, sorry, everybody uh, skip like 50 seconds ahead. Um, when Ronnie Blakely gets shot and basically killed, well, Haven Hamilton, this guy that we see is ridiculous. He also gets shot. Mm-hmm. And, but when people are going to tend to him, he's, he says, he's like, I'm all right. I'm all right. Don't worry about me. Look, go make sure she's okay. And then he goes to the mic and he says, this isn't Dallas. This is Nashville. They can't do it. Do this to us here in Nashville. And he's like, somebody sing someone just like, there's a weird heroism there. Yeah. And, it, and, it, and it, this feeling of like, as shitty as things can get, it only gets as shitty as we let it get and we can, we can move on. And then it goes into, you know, it don't worry me. And so that is, so to, to end on maybe a hope on, on a, on a happy note, I like it. Um, that is, that is a big thing that I think underneath all my personal cynicism and melancholy and all that, Underneath all of that is, and I can, I can probably put some of this down to my, my faith is the belief that things will get better at some point. Um, and that that might be the only thing keeping me from, (laughs) from absolute despair, (laughs) or it turns out being, uh, the conqueror of the world. Well, that's a good place to wrap it up. 
I guess so. You can find us at battleshipretention.com. You can email us at david at battleshipretention.com or tyler at battleshipretention.com or both. Uh, you can, uh, let's see. I like can, people to pick a side. <laughs> you can follow, uh, you can follow, uh, how do I usually say this? You can follow me on Twitter at Davy Pretension. Is that what I usually say? And then you can good. follow Tyler on Twitter at Tyler Pretension. Now you've got a couple of other podcasts. I sure do. What are they again? I've got more than one lesson. In which uh, we talk about Rodney Asher's The Nightmare, along with Wes Craven's uh, A Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, it's a good conversation. And a big, uh, I was very happy to uh, be able to talk about that film. Um, next week, we're talking about The Babadook. And then uh, there's my Survivor podcast, Worth Playing For, that I um, host with the anfor- uh, aforementioned Jen, my wife. Um, we're a few episodes in. I've I'm enjoying the hell out of doing this. Like doing a podcast about survivor has, this is going to sound so silly because I, I, I'm very open about how much I like survivor. Mm -hmm. And yet part of me still felt remarkably guilty about it in the, in the film world, certainly. But, um, doing a podcast about it has somehow allowed me to give myself permission to just openly and unabashedly love this thing. Awesome. Uh, I also have another podcast. It's also about TV. It's called Hey, Watch This with Paul and David. Um, this week, if we can get it together um, to do the episode, uh, we are we, we will be talking about um, catching up on this season of Project Runway, and we're talking about the new uh, Amazon show Red Oaks. So uh, you can find that at BattleshipRetention.com as well. And uh, is that it? I think that is it. All right. Thanks for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 